Father, as we come to your word, to this passage, and all it shows us of the first Christians, uh, what they gave themselves to, and how they turned to you in prayer, please would you grow us to be like them, to know our weakness, and to look to you for power to speak of Jesus. For his glory we pray. Amen. Good morning again. We're in Acts 4. If you've closed your Bible, do open uh, back up to page 1000. And 95, and if you like to jot notes, do use the back of the sermon sheet. We've been going through Acts, and we've got to the point where the disciples of Jesus, now referred to as the apostles, they have healed a lame man in the name of Jesus. That was Acts chapter 3. And now in chapter 4, we read about the trouble that resulted. As Peter and John, and how Peter and John responded to that trouble. So the opening verses, verses 1 to 4, they record the first moment of real opposition to the gospel. Up to this point, thousands have been believing. Um, in verse 4 it says, 5,000 now had believed. 5,000 men, so more if we add in the families. This is the first real moment of opposition as the, the apostles start to preach and teach about Jesus. As they've spoken, many have believed, but here we see the message being rejected. And as we go through Acts, we'll see this happening again and again, this same pattern, uh, that some believe, but some reject. And the opposition to the gospel, the message about Jesus, intensifies. We see the start of persecution, of state persecution against Christian believers. And it is like that still in the world today. Talking about Jesus today is not easy. Most of us will know something of this just with friends and family, with classmates or colleagues at work. If we've tried or even just thought about trying, the responses that we might expect could include ridicule, upset, being shut out, being threatened, being warned to stay silent and not to speak of Jesus. Maybe we've tried it and it just seems easier not to go there. Maybe we've thought about it and we come to the same conclusion. It's easier not to go there. We're going to focus in these verses on how Peter and John and the church as a whole responded to the threats and warnings to remain silent. 
We're going to start by thinking, how would we have responded to opposition like this? And I'm guessing for most of us, we wouldn't have responded the way the apostles and the church respond. Flick to the end of chapter 4 and see where this finishes. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you see the result if we compare the start of the chapter, persecution, a warning, a threat, and by the end of the chapter, the whole church, all the people of God, are speaking the word of God boldly. Is that not inspiring this morning for us? How does that happen? We're going to see what happens in between. We're going to break it into two. We're going to see how the apostles responded, first of all, and then how the church responded to this opposition. So our first heading, the apostles cannot help speaking about Jesus. This is verses 1 to 22. Let me give you that again. The apostles cannot help speaking about Jesus. That is what we see in these verses. It's not just that these men must speak about Jesus. It's that they, they can't help doing this. And as we look at their example, we're, we're probably going to end up marveling because we do not feel this way ourselves. Most of us are not naturally struggling and saying, I can't help but speaking about Jesus wherever I go. But that's how they were. Seriously brave. They're standing before the same people who'd killed Jesus a few months, a month or so before. The most powerful men in the country. And look at what they say to them um, in verse, verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. How brave is that in this scenario? That they say that in verse 10. In verse 11, they describe Jesus as the stone that you builders rejected. In other words, you have got it wrong about Jesus. How brave is this, given the context? And then in verse 20, when they're warned to be silent, how they respond, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Hmm. Is that not the point where you'd just be saying, right, come on, let's just go. Let's go now. And no, they've just got to go and say it. We can't help but speak about Jesus. This is staggering. Now, if I put the heading on the sheet and left a blank at the end, um, cannot help speaking about. If we turn to one another in prayers, in pairs, we could get some good answers, couldn't we? Just in the congregation here. Things that we cannot help speaking about, ranging from the interesting to the completely boring, but things that we know that matter to us, that in conversation 
we just love to get started on. And we can go on for ages. You know who the people are, and you know what they like to talk about, and what you like to talk about, the passions that we have, where we just can't help but speak about something that has impacted us or something we are excited about. What is it that motivates the apostles to be this way about Jesus? They are asked in verse 7, by what power did you do this miracle? There's three things, I think, in these verses to pull out that motivates them. Here's the first one. Verse 10, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They cannot help speaking about Jesus because they're utterly convinced that the power belongs to him. It's his power that changes things. It's his power that saw this man healed. Here's the first thing for us to grasp this morning. Speaking about Jesus is the most powerful thing we can do, period. Because in his name, there is power that can change lives. Talking about him in any context can lead to lives being changed forever. That's what we're shown at the start of this chapter, as thousands had believed and changed their lives to follow Jesus. And we need to grasp this, that the opportunity to share our testimony, and by that I mean speaking about Jesus, answering a question and bringing Jesus into the answer, it may in that moment or in advance feel foolish and weak, but it's the most powerful thing any of us can do alongside other people. They were utterly convinced of this. The power, it was in Jesus' name. It was his power, not theirs. The second thing they're utterly convinced of is uh, in verse 12, where they, they show us by saying, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They are utterly convinced that Jesus is the only way to be saved. The healing that was done in his name is a sign confirming that Jesus is the name to call upon if someone wants to be saved. He's the only way to be saved. For drowning people, the only way to be saved is to have a rescuer, the lifeboat. But, but to fit with, with our analogy alongside people, not able to throw them a lifeboat, many of us, a lifeboy is the thing that we throw and give to people to clutch onto that they, drowning, can be saved. The apostles were utterly convinced that Jesus was the only way that someone 
could be saved. This is why here at St. John's we keep running courses about exploring Christianity, going right back to the basics, focusing on Jesus, who the Bible says he is, why he came and why we need him. He's the only way to be saved. And this is why in, in our home groups during the week, we, we're trying to think about ways to get better at talking to people and keeping conversations going because we want to bring Jesus into a conversation because we believe that he is the only one who can save. They are utterly convinced of this. One more reason that they can't help but speak of Jesus, verse 20, the third motivation. Did you see this when we read it earlier? Just before they're, just after they've been told to be silenced, they say, verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. For them, <laughs> it is a fact. Jesus is alive. We've seen him. So their summary could go like this. You killed him, God raised him, and we've seen him. That is central for these guys. They are in that unique position to have that certainty. And this is what motivates them to speak again and again and again, seeing Jesus alive again after the cross, after he died. It explains why they will not shut up. And what the apostles saw motivated them to speak and to go on speaking and explains it in turn should motivate us to speak too. Remember why Luke is writing. He is passing on carefully recorded eyewitness accounts so that readers today can have certainty and confidence that this is true, Jesus is alive. So there's three quick motivations why the apostles cannot help speaking about Jesus. And it should leave us somewhere, well, marveling, because we know we are not naturally like them. People who cannot help speaking about Jesus. And then we realize that we need to be made like them. We need to pray the same for ourselves. And that's exactly what the believers do in the second half of this passage. They pray, this is our second heading, they pray, pray so we cannot help speaking about Jesus. Here is the takeaway, pray Let's pray so that we cannot help speaking about Jesus. This is verses 23 to 32. The eagle-eyed among you will have already spotted that Luke flagged up as they started their answer in verse 8 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were helped to speak like this. To the point that in verse 13, the people that were asking them the questions, were astonished by their courage. So now we have a prayer for renewed boldness. If we are to be bold, 
And if we're helped to be bold, then we will be those who cannot help but speak of Jesus. Notice um, where they don't start in this prayer. They don't start by saying, Lord, remove these people, zap them now, take them away. They start rather with a focus on their God. Do you see that in verse 24? That's where their prayer starts. We just pause for a second and understand that this is what prayer is all about. Putting our focus on our God. As an illustration, the job of a telescope is to put our focus on things far away. It brings those things into view. But it doesn't work if we get the telescope the wrong way around. That's just stupid. That just puts things further away if you've tried it. Oh, that's not right. You need to turn it around to put things in focus. In our prayers, we need to get them the right way around. Starting with God helps us to focus on Him, His greatness, His bigness, His godness, other words that end in this. And they start in praise, verse 24. They address their God as the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control on the throne of the whole world. They remember that he's the creator because it reminds us of his power. Creation reminds us of his power. He's the maker of everything. How much power has he got? A lot. All the power? All the power. Can you see the logic? Why this is relevant to their situation? They may be weak, but they see their God as incomparably strong and powerful. He has power to give to them. They pray then using the Old Testament and they turn to Psalm 2, the, the Psalm that we read earlier, because it reminded them that God has unchallengeable power, particularly in relation to opposition in a rebellious world. Psalm 2 speaks about how the nations of the world can fight against God and his anointed king that that will happen. But in Psalm 2, they're helped to recognize that that is in vain. And they apply that in verses 27 and 28 as they think about what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, probably with these same people responsible for sending him to the cross. How, what do they say? Verse 28, yet you have filled Jerusalem. Oh, that's chapter 5. What did they say? They did, verse 28, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. 
by turning to these verses, there you remember that God was sovereign even over Jesus' death. Why is this relevant? Well, the bottom line is all the rulers of the world haven't a hope trying to take on the ruler, the ruler of the world. Even when God's enemies put Jesus to death, they were only doing what God let them do. This is relevant because they have just faced opposition from rulers. As opposition spills over, opposition to Jesus comes to his followers. And it's the same thing in God's eyes. And they remind themselves that even evil opposition only happens under God's sovereign rule. What do they ask for then? Three things in verses 29 to 30. They pray very simply about the threats. First of all, consider their threats. Rather than say, protect us, they just commit it to God. Secondly, they say, enable your servants. Do you see that in verse 29? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You see, they, they know that they are going to face even more trouble talking about Jesus. So what do they do? They ask God to help them to do it. Isn't prayer just quite simple when we see it like this? Asking God to help them to do it. And then thirdly, verse 30, they ask for miracles that will point to Jesus just like the healing of the lame man. And the result is verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God is pleased with their prayer. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They have tapped into God's prayer, God's power. They have tapped into God's power. If we this morning want to go out this week and to be those who cannot help speaking about Jesus, if we just in some semblance of our Christian life think that would be a great place to be. I don't feel I've got that natural temperament. I don't feel I've got all the words. I've just become a Christian. I don't understand everything. But I can see what motivated the apostles. I can see what matters about Jesus. And I can see that this is how his kingdom will grow. And yes, I'd like to be like the apostles. What we must do next is what the believers did. They prayed. They prayed. We should expect opposition that this will not be easy, that there will be things that will make us afraid, that there will be a temptation to remain silent. 
But prayer reminds us of our powerlessness and helps us to focus on our God who is all-powerful and whose help we need. Can I leave you with a challenge to be like the believers here in these verses who when they faced opposition and knew that more opposition would come, their, their first instinct was, was to turn to each other. Can I leave you with an encouragement to get alongside other Christians that you know and to pray about this like the believers did? In our groups, in twos or threes, if this is a new thing for you to maybe be brave with a Christian and say, I need God's help with this. What was just said this morning, straight afterwards, I need God's help with this. Can we meet and pray about this? Can I give you an encouragement to, to come to a home group or to come to, to a prayer meeting on the first Wednesday of the month and to pray with others? Because that must be the aim of this passage. That must be our to-do, is to pray for God's help. That He would make us bold so that we are those who cannot help but speak of Jesus. Let's pray now. Lord, your word is truth. And these truths are the things that we need to grapple with and consider and believe. That we would come to you in prayer. That we would go out and be those living in your world, who are helped by you to speak boldly of Jesus. Help us in sensing and knowing our weakness to be those who pray, who turn to one another and who turn to you and who seek your power to speak of Jesus. For his glory we ask. Amen.